Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Well, here's a few facts about the ISS. In 15 countries made a success. Took a lot of space flights for us to build. A station as big as a football field. Two Johns on board, but they got no bath. Orbits the Earth in an hour and a half. Over 200 miles up off the ground. And tipping them scales at a million pounds. Making benefits for humanity. Through new science and technology. Over 200 people have lived on board. The heroes of Earth who were driven to explore. Space, that is, off the Earth, for the Earth, on the journey to Mars. listening to our next giant leap a podcast that's out of this world and now here is your host mike williams hello everyone and welcome to episode one of our next giant leap i am your host mike williams and this is being recorded live on talk if you missed the pilot episode and you want to know what this show is about, you can download it from iTunes, TalkShoe, or by going to my website, mikewilliamsinc.wordpress.com, and clicking on the podcast button. I want to thank everyone that is listening in on the podcast today. The clip you heard at the beginning of the show was from NASA and entitled, The International Space Station, A Musical. And the link to the YouTube video will be in my show notes. If we're going to send humans to Mars one day, we have to learn a lot about how certain things react to long periods of time and space, from how to grow food to how different materials act in a microgravity environment. We also need to know how the human body changes in space. And that's exactly what the ISS is doing. It is a testbed for long-duration exposure to the microgravity environment. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, the International Space Station, our stepping stone to Mars. The ISS is the biggest and most complex science laboratory ever constructed in space. The modules were put together by over 15 countries. Each module 
had to fit just right and were assembled together for the first time in space, many of which had to be flown up by the space shuttle. Currently, there is only one spacecraft that launches both astronauts and cosmonauts to the ISS. They are launched aboard a Russian Soyuz vehicle, which launches from Bakunor Kazodrome in Kazakhstan, Russia. In addition to some of the facts you heard in the opening of the show, let's take a few minutes and go over a few more interesting things about the International Space Station. The first crew to inhabit the ISS for a long period of time was Expedition 1 back in November of 2000, paving the way for constant human presence in space for over 15 years. There have been over 190 spacewalks at the International Space Station, 142 for the U.S., and 48 have been Russian spacewalks, or EVAs. 52 computers control the systems on the ISS. More than 115 space flights were conducted on five different types of launch vehicles over the course of station's construction. 3.3 million lines of software code on the ground support 1.8 million lines of flight software code. Eight miles of wire connects the electrical power system. If you want to know more detail about the International Space Station, there's a couple of places to go. One, of course, is nasa.gov slash ISS, and the other is a YouTube video filmed with the help of astronaut Sunny Williams. And she kind of gives you a tour of the ISS and what life is like on board while she was on the station. And I'll have a link to both those sites in the show notes. The current crew aboard the International Space Station is the Expedition 45 crew, two of which are spending a year in space, NASA astronaut Scott Kelly and Russian cosmonaut Mikhail Korniko. Mikhail and Scott are being subjected to a host of experiments, some of which include how the human body suffers bone loss in microgravity, muscle loss, effects of radiation exposure, and during long-duration space flights, some astronauts have had problems with blurred vision. All of these experiments, along with many others, will help scientists and engineers better understand how the human body reacts to long-duration space flights and how to counteract problems that occur in space, which are important with our journey to Mars. Scott Kelly and Cal Lindgren recently did an interview from aboard the ISS with Amy Shera Title, and they talked a little bit about what it's going to take to get to Mars. And I want to play a little bit of that interview for you now. How do you think your time on board the ISS is a good analog for the challenges of a mission to Mars? Well, I think, you know, the duration it's going to take to get there is somewhere, you know, probably around the six-month, uh, you know, flight, and it depends on orbital, orbital mechanics and how much uh, propulsion you want to use in the technology. 
But, uh, you know, from that perspective, I think it's pretty similar. Also, the life support system we have up here is, uh, you know, something that we're going to need to go to Mars. And I think we do a good job in uh, you know, demonstrating that, that we have that capability. So, um, you know, with the exception of what you do when you get on the surface and, the, you know, the re-enter or the entering, entering into Martian atmosphere and the, and the return from the surface, I think there are a lot of similarities. You know, having to get all the training that we need in order to do the repairs that we have on station um, and to really have the mindset to be able to be in an enclosed space for a long duration of time with other crew members uh, to, to be prepared for that, that will definitely be something that's a part of a, a Mars mission. The psychology of being in space must be very different. I can only imagine being able to see the Earth versus not seeing the Earth. How do you think, um, how do you think that will differ for a crew going to Mars, the psychology of being in space? Yeah, it will differ. There's no doubt about that. You know, we can look out the window and see see the Earth in, uh, you know, all its beauty at, uh, you know, different, you know, times of, of day. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, sometimes it's during the day, sometimes it's night. I don't think uh, something that people really appreciate is that when you're going to Mars, you know, you're in sunlight all the time. You know, every time you look out the window, you, it's not like you're going to see stars. You're going to see nothing because the sun is going to be so bright on your whole trip there. So, uh, you know, after a few days and you can no longer see Earth, it's, uh, it's going to feel like you're really uh, out in the middle of nowhere and you're on your own. There's obviously a lot of things that I can only imagine you both miss about Earth. What do you think is going to be the, the biggest challenge from a, a personal human level for a crew going to Mars? And what has surprised you being on the ISS that we might not think about when we're talking about a journey to Mars in terms of things you miss, things that are really going to make it hard for a crew being that far from home? Well, one thing I miss here is the ability to leave. So even though this is an amazing place and it's a privilege to get to fly in space, you never get to go outside. You're not leaving. And, uh, you know, that's something that the folks going to bars are going to experience, too. Uh, the one difference is, you know, in an emergency, we can we can go home and we can be there pretty quickly if we really had to. I think the other big difference is going to be our ability to communicate with folks on the ground. It's a you know, a real advantage we have both, uh, you know, operationally and, and from a personal level to be able to get on the phone and call people. But, uh, you know, pretty soon after we depart Mars, for Mars, you know, you're going to get a time delay uh, in communication such that it's not going to be usable. So, you know, that's going to play a big, uh, have a, you know, big impact on the psycholog- psychology of the, of the trip. When you start a mission like this, you know, a five-month mission or a year mission like Scott is doing, um, and for those uh, crew members that will eventually go to Mars, I think you start out with a mindset, though. You start out with, uh, um, you anticipate kind of what the challenges are going to be, and uh, I think one of the things that I've experienced up here that's surprised me a little bit is really how uh, adaptable the human uh brain and psychology is, you know, I think that you adapt to the conditions and, and, and quickly normalize to them. So the fact that communications will be a little bit delayed, um, I think you're still going to treasure that opportunity to talk with friends and family, um, even though there, though there is a little bit of a delay. And, uh, and I think that you're going to have this long trip that's really kind of set in your mind already. And so that will make things a little bit easier. Well, that was pretty incredible. Astronauts are on board the International Space Station right now, running experiments that are helping push us forward to Mars. Not only are they working on the technological elements, but the human elements, because a journey to Mars is hard. 
Amy Share Title has a great YouTube channel called Vintage Space. If you want to know about the golden age of spaceflight and how it all began, Amy has some great videos, great explanations, and insights on America's first space flights. And I'll link that link to that YouTube channel in the show notes. Now it's time for question and answers. And today I thought I'd share with you a question I get asked all the time, and that is how does a spacecraft get up to the space station? A lot of people are under the assumption that you launch the rocket and it goes straight up to the station. But there's a little bit of rocket science and orbital mechanics involved in between. Today, you're going to learn a little bit of rocket science. You're going to find out what a Hohmann transfer and phasing burn is. I promise you it's not that technical or complicated. There is an engineer by the name of Destin, and he had an interview with astronaut Reed Wiseman. And in that interview, they both discuss how the Soyuz gets to the ISS. All right, so what happens once you get to space? We got to, okay, people, people know the rocket. And people know space station. Right. People have no idea what happens in between. There is a little bit that happens in between. Okay. So the, the ride from, from ground to space, that's nine and a half minutes. And that's on a really powerful rocket. Everybody's seen it. It's filled with fuel, a lot of fire. You go up. And at the end of that ride, you're going about 17,000 miles an hour. Okay. Okay. And from there, though, you have to rendezvous with the International Space Station. And that's going just a little bit faster. And that's what I want to talk about. Let's talk about it. Okay. I think what a lot of people think is that the rocket just gradually takes you up to the space station in this spiral orbit. And that's not what happens at all. You know what I used to think? I used to think the rocket just launched straight up to the space station. Yeah, I get it. A lot younger. I never thought that it actually tracks downrange. So what is the moment where you're like, holy cow, I'm in space? When does that happen? The moment, that moment is very clear. It's exactly when your third stage cuts off. So that's nine and a half minutes in, and you're no longer under powered flight. And your booster falls away, and you really, you actually feel like you're floating up because you're still strapped in your seat. It's going to put you up at a fairly safe altitude where you're outside the atmosphere, and the rocket's not going to fall back down. It's not going to have a lot of drag on it, so it'll just stay up there. And then from there, we're going to do a series of burns. And in the Soyuz, we do seven burns. Okay, but the first two are just going to be a straight-up Hohmann transfer. Okay, gotcha. Okay, let me explain that. A Hohmann transfer, make sure I get this right. A Hohmann transfer is like if you're in a circular orbit and you want to go to a larger or smaller circular orbit, you draw an ellipse between the two circles, right? That's right. You're going to do a burn on one side, and then 45 minutes later for us, you're going to do another burn because you'll be on the other side of the planet. It's a little less than 45 minutes. Gotcha. Okay. But then that'll perfectly, that'll turn one circular orbit into another circular orbit that's either a little bigger or smaller. Got it. Two burns, Hohmann transfer. Exactly. So then the second maneuver is uh, it's actually a little trick. We don't know on that booster, we don't know exactly where it's going to insert us into orbit. So we could be a little high, we could be a little low, a little fast, a little slow. So then that second maneuver... Why is that? Is it because every rocket's not the same? Every a little bit different. This is what we're going to do. These two, next two burns are just going to correct for our dispersion errors. And now we're fa- what we call phasing with the space station. So we're going to stay in this phasing orbit until the space station is kind of where it needs to be. Oh, okay, I got it. If you were closer to the Earth... You're actually orbiting the Earth quicker, right? That's correct. Okay, so what is it? On on station, is every 90 minutes you go around the once Earth? Once every 90 minutes. So when you're a little bit lower, it's once every 86 minutes. You know, It's a little bit faster. Okay, so okay. that's the purpose of the phasing orbit then. Catch up with the space station. Okay, got it. So that's our timing. That's our timing. So now we're four burns in. Okay. But now... So we, we've, we've done our home and transfer. We've done our home and transfer to build our orbit up. 
We've done our next two burns to correct for any sort of dispersion on ascent. Now we're on the perfect phasing orbit. We're perfectly set, perfectly circular orbit, if that's where we want to be. Okay. And now we're just waiting. And when the space station's at the exact right spot, we're going to do one more home and transfer, two burns. And it would actually send us out in front of the space station. So what we'll do is we wait, and right when we get in front of the space station, we turn the rocket around, and we do a third burn now, and it sets us perfectly up in front of the space station. So you do a U-turn in space? You do a U-turn in space. And you actually see it. You watch the Earth go all the way by, you go backwards, you hit the brakes just a tiny bit, then you flip your spaceship back around, point it at the space station, and now we're sitting right in front of the ISS, and we're just waiting, and then we're going to go real, real slow, proximity operations, and we're flying it just like an airplane, and we go in and dock. Sweet. Okay, so it's just X, Y, Z, roll, pitch y'all at that point. Exactly. That's fantastic. How long does it take to actually dock to the space station? It takes about a half an hour. From the time you get to Proxops, we're going to go really, really slow, and it takes about a half an hour to get that docking complete. Okay, is You it could do it much quicker, but I mean, when you have two big pieces of metal that are going 17,500 miles an hour, you want to make sure they touch each other pretty gently. Let's summarize. The launch gets you up into the insertion orbit where you do a home and transfer to get up a bit higher. You do some cleanup burns to get into the perfect phasing orbit where you catch up with the ISS because you're going around the Earth faster. You chill right here until the time is right, and then you do two burns which put you out in front of the ISS. A flip and a braking burn then brings you in for docking, and there you go. Dustin has a great website called Smarter Every Day, and you should definitely check it out. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. So that's our show for today. I want to thank you for listening to the show. And thank you for downloading it. If you have any questions or comments, you can drop me a voicemail at 321-351-8539 or send me an email at mikewilliams573 at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at our next giant LP. All one word. Now, because our next episode would be two weeks from now, on December 22nd, which would put us right before Christmas, I decided not to have a show then due to the busyness of the holiday season. I will be back with episode 2 on January 5th. The Martian, is there any truth in the movie? I want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Have a great holiday season. I hope Santa brings you everything you want. Goodbye, everybody. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.